right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Ephesians. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter two, as we talked about Paul uh, giving a revelation to what God had done in Christ Jesus, that is abolishing the law of Moses and bringing Jew and Gentile into one people, that is, as, as Paul called it, into one body in Christ Jesus, so that all may become a single people of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That is, by believing in the person and the work of Jesus, His, that is God who has come in the flesh as the Messiah, died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected from the dead, all who would have faith in him in this manner would come into that people of God, that one people of God, or we simply call it the body of Christ, thereby abolishing the law of Moses. That is, the Jews once had the law of Moses, which served as a dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. This is simply to say that a Gentile as a Gentile, simply coming as a Gentile, could not be a part of the people of God. So the law of Moses became a wall that divided the Jew from the Gentile. But now in Christ Jesus, Gentiles can come as Gentiles. That is, they don't have to be circumcised and neither do they have to keep the law of Moses because the law of Moses has been abolished and thereby, as I said to you guys earlier, all having faith in Christ Jesus, his person and his works are now one people in the body of Christ. And so Paul was simply saying in chapter two to the uh, Ephesian Gentiles that this is a reason, this is the inference, a reason for joy for what God has done in you who were formerly not a people have now been brought near to God as a people to enjoy all the benefits, the promises that God had given to his chosen and elect people, namely the Jews. Okay, so with all of that, let's prepare to get into chapter three. Now, even though chapter three is of some length, it's not a difficult chapter at all, and we should be able to move through it uh, very quickly. The idea of what's going on in chapter three is number one, Paul is speaking of his stewardship, that is his appointment by the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes he'll say by God, but the idea is the same. Paul's appointment by God to serve as an ambassador of the gospel, particularly to the Gentiles. And then he begins to talk about at the end of chapter three, how that in all of these things that God has done for the Gentiles in bringing them into the family of God and with respect to Paul's mission, Paul gives thanks. So he gives thanks for what God has given him in stewardship and thus the Gentiles also should give thanks for what God has done for them. Once again, reflection back to chapter two and bringing them in as a people of God. So with all of that, let's just simply get started in chapter three. Should be a very short chapter. 
For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation that was made known to me, the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific, that the Gentiles as our fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Now this, even though it is somewhat lengthy in the reading that I just did, is as I just said earlier, is pretty much simplistic in what Paul is trying to say. So what he is simply saying, first of all, verse number one, we understand once again that this is one of Paul's imprint, I'm sorry, prison epistles. That is, when Paul wrote the epistle to the Ephesians, he wrote it from his first Roman imprisonment. And that's why he refers to himself in verse number one as the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And again, he emphasizes uh, all throughout this particular section that he is the prisoner of Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. So he emphasized his um, Gentile ap apostolic ministry. That is, he is an apostle to the Gentiles. And then he talks about that ministry that he has in the sense of his stewardship when he speaks of the grace of God that was given to Paul on behalf or for the Gentiles. And that is, he was given this particular apostleship so that he may minister the gospel of Christ specifically to the Gentiles. Now, that is not to say that Paul did not speak to the Jews because once we look at Paul's, uh, Paul in the book of Acts, we see that it was the commonplace of Paul to first go into the Jewish synagogues. And then of course he would usually face some type of hostility by the Jews with the preaching of Jesus as the Messiah. And then Paul would go to the Gentiles, but predominantly, his ministry would be to the Gentiles and specifically as we see in Acts chapter nine, Paul was given this ministry to the Gentiles by Christ himself. But in other words, he continued to talk about this revelation knowledge that Jesus had given to him specifically for this ministry. That is how that Jesus had given to, had disclosed to him a certain knowledge to the, which Paul calls a mystery, mysterion. And a mystery is the sense of this. Something that, and, and Paul actually defines it in verse number five. What is a mystery? A mystery is a revelation that God had previously, that God did not previously disclose to the former prophets 
But now in this age, that is the church age, God has disclosed something that was previously held secret now to the apostles and prophets of the church. And this is what Paul says in other generations. Verse number five was not made known to the sons of men. That is by, er by earlier prophets. We can call it like prophets of the old Testament age, but is now being made known through the holy apostles and prophets of the church. So Paul is speaking of himself as one of such apostles to the, which God has given this supernatural knowledge, or should we even say has disclosed certain happenings in the new Testament age that was not made known previously. And Paul is saying, so I'm letting you know how I have this particular knowledge because what God has chosen to reveal it to me for the purpose of disclosing it to his body so that I could function in this apostolic manner so that I may be what an apostle to the Gentile. And so that you can have an understanding of where I get all of this knowledge, I'm letting you know that the Lord has simply disclosed it to me, a mystery that was previously unknown by the prophets. And let us simply say of the old Testament era. And then he tells us even more specifically what that mystery is. And that is that the Gentiles, the Gentiles as Gentiles. And when you hear me say Gentiles as Gentiles, you have to understand that Paul is talking about Gentiles who have no need of circumcision. And we can see this when Peter in, in the book of Acts, when Peter visited the household of Cornelius. Now Cornelius was called a worshiper of God. He was not a proselyte. A worshiper is a Gentile who has not been circumcised according to the law of Moses, a Gentile who is not, who has not been converted to Judaism, a Gentile who is not keeping the law of Moses, but nevertheless, he is a believer in the God of the Jews. So he believes in the same God that the Jews believe with the exception, he is not circumcised and neither is he keeping the law. And what took place when Peter preached the gospel of Jesus to Cornelius and those Gentiles with him, they received the gift of the Holy spirit without being circumcised. So this is what Paul is saying how the Gentiles are brought into the family of God. That is alongside of the Jews without the need of being circumcised or keeping the law of Moses. And we remember all throughout this discourse, what that the law of Moses had been abolished at the cross of Jesus Christ. But this was a mystery that was never known in the old Testament. Why? Because previously, if a Gentile was going to be a part of certain promises that God had given to the Jewish people, this Gentile had to be circumcised and had to be a keeper of the law of Moses. But now 
in Christ Jesus, as the law has been abolished, a Gentile can come unto Christ, can come unto God by having faith in Christ alone without having any need of circumcision. And so this is that great mystery that was previously unknown. Gentiles as Gentiles could enjoy the covenant promises of Israel apart from circumcision and the law. And this mystery, Paul is now an ambassador. Paul is now preaching this wonderful blessing to the Gentiles. Okay, so let me move through this because we don't want to make this too long. Verse number eight, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Again, now this seems kind of thick, but actually it's quite simple what Paul is saying. So what he is saying. So first of all, we see a statement of humility in verse eight to me, who is the very least of all saints. And Paul in several other places in the book of Galatians, uh, uh, even also in Acts, Paul speaks of himself in, in such an humble way as I, I'm quite sure Paul always remembers how his former life had been, as he speaks of in the book of Philippians as well. His former life had been as a Pharisee and a once persecutor of Christians. But nevertheless, he says that he is the least of all saints. God has given this duty, this job to this job of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul counts this job as a high privilege for God to give to him. And so he continues on to talk about, uh, in an explanatory fashion, exactly what that preaching entails, and that is the administration of the ministry of the mystery, which was, which was once hidden by God in ages past that, and that's just nothing more than the language that he's simply saying, how that God would bring about the end of all things in Christ Jesus. Okay. I'm almost using the same type of language Paul is using. Paul is simply saying that this preaching that he is doing, how God through his son, Jesus, that bringing God in the flesh, that is Jesus, how God, the father in bringing God in the flesh, his son, Jesus, and in Jesus, by those expressing faith in Jesus, he would make a people, he would make a unified people of God. And thus in Jesus and through 
these people of God, the one people of God, Jew and Gentile, God would bring about the end of the age. God would bring about the end of all things. And this at one time was unknown by the people of God. But now Paul is an ambassador. This is his stewardship that God has given him, the stewardship of bringing about a unified people of God who through them, they would make known, and I like this part in verse number 10, the manifold wisdom of God. That is how God is going to bring about all things to the very end because it is at the end of the church age to the which we cannot get into explicitly. But at the end of the church age, the church being what? Jew and Gentile. The period that God is, is bringing about a salvation of these particular people, Jew and Gentile, having faith in Jesus Christ during a particular period. It is at the end and fulfillment of this period that we actually have the return of Jesus Christ. So we have the full administration of the revelation of this mystery in the church age. And I hope I didn't say that just about as difficult as Paul said it, but through the church, God brings about the revelation of how he brings all things to pass in Christ Jesus. And this he teaches, notice, to the rulers and authorities of the heavenly places. Now this speaks of angelic spirits, whether or not these angelic spirits are good or even bad. That is the church itself as it brings about the will of God in the fulfillment as we, as, as the angels. And this is where Peter says, even how angels desire to look into. And that's the idea of to gaze steadily, to peep over and to try to learn and acquire knowledge. Angels are learning from the church, from the apostles and the prophets of the new Testament church from seeing how things are being fulfilled in the church, the angels themselves are learning God's wisdom, God's accomplishments, God's purpose for the ages. You see, even though angels have great knowledge of things, knowledge of many things that we ourselves have never known, but when it comes to the fulfillment and how the thing, how things will actually work out in the future, the angels don't know how all of these things work out. God has chosen to give the wisdom and knowledge of the future of how things will work out through the church. And he gives this knowledge to the angels, whether demonic angels or even godly angels. They learn how things will work out through the church and they themselves, if you'll let me use this terminology, are educated in the eschatological future. That is the future workings of how all things work out in Christ Jesus. They learn 
through the church itself. And this was a one-time mystery in times past as well. And so this is what Paul is trying to say. And this is what it means in accordance with the eternal purpose. That is God had purpose and planned these things through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I like the way he says that Christ Jesus, that is the Messiah, the one who comes as a human being in the flesh to fulfill the law of Moses, to die on the cross and be resurrected again from the dead. This is the Christ, but not only is he the Christ, he is also kurios, which is the New Testament designation of Jesus as God. So how God had purposed all of these things through the second person of the Trinity. And this is this knowledge of eschatology of how all things are to be brought to an end that met that administration of the end. This knowledge is being brought about through the church and even the angels are learning from the church. They are learning the eschatology of all things. Okay. And then he simply says to the which Again, you can see that sense of praise. We give glory because what? We have boldness and we have access. We both Jew and Gentile, the saints of God, the body of Christ, the people of God. We have boldness through Christ Jesus to come to the throne of grace. Okay, so now let's finish the latter part. And now we get into, as Paul has just talked about, in the previous section, his stewardship, his apostleship to the Gentiles, now he simply ends with praise and thanksgiving. And the inference that we gather from this is, and so also should all the people of God, especially the Gentiles, join in with Paul in this praise of thanksgiving. Verse 13, therefore I ask you, not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now it is clear, it is clear as a bell when you get to verse 21 that that is a prayer of Paul. But the, I, the question you ask, a prayer for what? A prayer 
to what purpose? So he begins in verse 13 and it simply says what? That they are going to know about Paul's Roman, Roman imprisonment, but nevertheless, do not let this, the idea of Paul being imprisoned, discourage them. For Paul's imprison, his imprisonment, is unto their glory. It is the evidence that Paul is doing exactly what the Lord Jesus sent him to do, and that which the Lord Jesus said that Paul himself would suffer. Acts chapter 9, when, Paul, when Jesus said concerning Paul, I will show him the many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. That this is a fulfillment of the word of Jesus. As Paul, this as it evidences, Paul is fulfilling his ministerial duties. So don't get upset about it. It is what the Lord said would happen to me and is proof that I'm doing exactly what he would have me to do for you Gentiles. And thus, according to what is being fulfilled, the Gentiles coming into the body of Christ, being grafted into all of those promises of God, I thank my God for all that God is doing. And that's why he says, I bow my knees. And so he begins to give thanks for the Gentiles and that the Gentiles would understand all of the blessings that they now enjoy in Christ Jesus, that they would understand the knowledge of God, of what God is trying to give them in being grafted into the body of Jesus, in understanding the manifold grace of God, in understanding how God has chosen them along with the Jewish people as one body, them to be the revelatory agents of the eschatological end, the administration of God, how God has chosen to bring about the end of all things through the church. He prays and says that I hope that you understand the true depths of the knowledge and the love of Christ Jesus to know how God has taken flesh and subjected himself by entering into his own creation and voluntarily shedding his blood, giving up his life so that you might become his people to know the love of God that surpasses all understanding. I pray that you might know the depths, the height, the breadth, the width in the love and the knowledge of God. And I almost kind of like repeated it all myself, got carried away. But the point is, you can see that it is a prayer for the Gentiles, that they may comprehend the knowledge and the love of God of God. And then he basically finishes and simply says, and it, and it almost sound Judish like when I say Jude, I'm talking about the way Jude ends that one chapter, uh, epistle in his letter. Now unto him, remember Jude said now unto him who is able to keep us from falling. And Paul says what now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly, more than anything that we can dream of, ask, or even comprehend to think 
to God who is able to do wonderful and magnificent things to God alone in Christ Jesus be all the glory and all the praise. And this is basically what he is saying forever and ever. So we end there. So chapter three, actually, even though it had some length, 21 verses, it was a pretty easy chapter as to what was the apostle Paul saying? He was number one, identifying his apostolic ministry. That is, he was made a steward of the grace of God. And this grace entailed preaching to the Gentiles had how that mystery, the mystery, how you as uncircumcised Gentiles are now brought into the people of God as one people, Jew and Gentile, to enjoy all of the wonders, the gifts, the privileges, all of the grace of God that was at one time shared by the Jews alone. And God made me a minister, a preacher of this message to the Gentiles. Part one of chapter three. Part two, thus I glorify God for what he has done in making me a minister as well as giving you these blessings, you, you Gentiles, as well as Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. And I pray that God would truly open your mind and your hearts to understand all that God has done for you and appreciate these things with gratitude. Bless his name. Thanks be to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for my ministry. And that is the idea of chapter three. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me with that. I think that was kind of brief, but thanks for joining me with that in chapter three. Now we have finished this particular section. We, we, we're going to talk about it a, a little bit more as we get ready to go into chapter four. But now we have finished the theological section of, of, of the book of Ephesians, which is chapters one through chapter three. It is in theology. Now, as we continue forward, chapters four through six, we're going to get into the practical section. That is, first section, theology of Paul, talking about some knowledge that Paul is trying to impart, and then the practical section, how Paul wants you to respond in practical living, obedience, a, an everyday righteous life. And this is what we're going to talk about in the proceeding chapters, four through six. All right. Now, if these lessons have been a blessing to you and you want God, only God has moved your heart and you know if you felt or heard something and you want to support this ministry, there is a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry so we can continue to bring you these videos, okay? And for those of you who support this ministry, let me give you a heartfelt thank you for all that you do. And anyway, according to that YouTube stuff, always give a thumbs up, a like, and subscribe to the channel. All right, guys, can't wait to see you next time.